When we're young, we move with freedom and confidence, with a great resilience to injury. Somewhere along the line, we develop poor habits and become more vulnerable to back pain. Smart Strong features evidence-based and practical advice to help you take back control of your health and get back to the activities you love. This is your guide to better health through movement. So join us as we demystify some of the commonly held beliefs about back pain and build your confidence to a stronger back, the smart pain. Welcome back to the Smart Strong Podcast with me, Ben James, and my good friend and co-host, as always, Jacob Stain. Today, we're talking pain and nutrition. We've talked about acute pain today. We've talked about chronic pain and how we're managing acute and chronic pain with an active-based approach to recovery. Today, we're talking about the impact of nutrition on pain and the impact of nutrition on inflammation and recovery. So, Jacob, a good place to start. Does diet influence pain? I think we have an absolute yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. the research is quite compelling, you feel? Yes, I think, of course. It's, um, it's been proven and discussed already for years, and I think it's only becoming more and more uh, clear, and it's becoming more specialized in how and, and different ways and the different approaches we can follow to not only influence pain and desensitize uh, the nociceptors, but also, and obviously, you know, going the whole way, also in uh, getting recovery, maybe after years of not being able to recover. Okay. And I guess the question there, or the natural question for the people listening is, well, how does nutrition influence pain? Because for, for people listening, they're going to think, well, hang on, I've, I've had an injury. Uh, I understand that. Or you've talked about... Um, repetitive movements and motions and the creep effect of tissues and how that can ultimately cause damage and with it cause injury and activation of those nociceptors and pain so just how does nutrition influence that are we talking very much on the kind of biochemistry and the impact of things like the chemicals that that are aggravating nociceptors how is it that nutrition has an influence on pain, I guess is the big question. I think broadly speaking, we've got to look at two things. There are more factors, but we'll focus on these two factors for now. I think the, the first one is gut health. So the actual inflammatory response we have when we have an injury. So, so say we play uh, rugby or football or whatever, and you twist your ankle. So immediately you'll have this acute inflama inflammatory response. So the body and the immune system is now dealing with that. And the, the, the way it deals with it is based on the, the state that your body's in. So if there's a low-grade inflammation present, the inflammatory, inflammatory process will be different to when you are equipped with all the right nutrients that you need to go through that inflammatory response very quickly and go through those three phases of recovery where you can afterwards then strengthen again yeah and, and back to gut health i think that's that's a, a an important uh, point there because this seems to be something that is that is overlooked uh, by a lot of people and i know we've talked a lot about the immune response and the activity within the gut do you want to talk a little bit more about that um at this point, having, having discussed it or introduced it a little bit there in what you've said, just so people get a bit of an understanding of the importance of, of gut health. 
Yeah, uh, it's a topic I can speak about for a whole day uh, in one breath, so I'll keep it short. But Please the, do. <laughs> the important thing there to know is that the so if you look at the gut, you've got the roughly one and a half meter long large intestine and a six and a half meter long small intestine. And the difference between these two is actually quite big. So that the large intestine has a, is, is bacterially based and the small intestine is, is very much enzymatically based, which means that, uh, you know, you've got to have the proper bacteria functioning in the large intestine and that has its role. And then you have the, 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 um, the, what's called the mucosa. It's a slime layer on the inside of the small intestine that uh, produces a lot of things that we need and that actually is the home of the immune system for about 70 or 80 percent so the small intestine has a very thin uh, one cell layer thin uh, uh, wall which needs to be protected by the uh, slime layer the mucosa and you know when with I don't know, I can't put a percentage on it, but it, a great deal of the population actually suffers from uh, poor small intestinal gut health. And so we're exposed to uh, uh, damage to, the, to the, the wall lining of the small intestine. And so basically you have, you have an immune system constantly trying to clear up, clean up its own home uh where it resides instead of actually flourishing and then being able to go to somewhere else in the body and, and do its job over there and that's why gut health is so important because number one that's where the immune system functions from and um, if not then your immune system will be constantly busy trying to clean up the gut so when we put that into the context of someone potentially with back pain that isn't necessarily on a good diet are we saying that because of the activity that the that the gut is performing to try and keep that healthy and at an optimum then that potentially is taking away some of the nutritional benefits to managing pain well yeah that's initially i said i have there's two points i wanted to discuss and that that's actually the second one so when we look at your ability to recover we talk about the energy available and uh, I like to tell patients, look, we have the priori priority of the body is not to recover. Their priority is to survive. So if you're chronically fatigued or you don't have enough energy, you don't wake rested in the mornings, then there's a good chance your body doesn't actually have the excess energy after the main priority of surviving, which it needs to recover. So then we have a little problem there and so this is what happens we we eat the wrong food the digestion stays active throughout the day instead of maybe only the th for the three meals that we should digesting and because of this every time we eat the immune system gets activated so all of this gets all of this is, is eating up our energy so we're having five six snacks throughout the day where you know we're chewing chewing gum and, and stuff like that so we've got a very active immune system all day the immune system uh, the the digestive system doesn't get any rest so there's actually no energy left for recovering 
and uh, and, th and that's the main point so you know your ideal would be looking at having three meals a day and if you want to go a step further you'd look at uh, intermittent fasting maybe two meals a day and then you have these big pauses between the meals where the digestive system is actually turned off and the immune system can do its work wherever recovery is needed and so just to kind of conclude on that point we're almost saying you know you wouldn't go to the gym throughout the day you know you'd give your body a break and in the same way to some degree what you're saying is we need to have a consideration on the gut and give that a break that's 100 percent what i'm saying exactly yeah we want to we want to give the gut a break because that's when your immune system and the energy that you know there's a limited amount of energy then we can use the energy to actually recover and heal okay and before we kind of move on a little bit with with that and talking about that and talking about some of the things that people can be considering in terms of changing their diet in terms of some of the things they're eating already in terms of hydration a natural question for me at this point is why is this why is this overlooked because there's a lot of compelling evidence now there's a lot of research so why is it that we're not getting more of this advice is it again back to a lack of knowledge with the professionals that we're seeing is it just um overseen by a many or is it not accepted by them what do you think the the views are there yeah i think it's uh it's multifactorial and i think that we you know the main driver here is the food industry and the advertisements and the things that we're exposed to uh, and that's not based on a anti-inflammatory diet that's based on what is palpable and what appeals and what tastes good and we all know that most of those things are actually causing more harm than good and the other factor is what you mentioned i think that we I mean, we can gradually see some changes here and there, but not fast enough, if you ask me, amongst the specialists or the doctors or the approach that you have, uh, that, you, that you get when you go to a hospital. You know, if you look at what, what people are fed in a hospital, then uh, you'd rather just have water. <laughs> the, point, the point is that specialists and, and, and medical professionals are not trained in this field unfortunately and until recently they were told it doesn't matter yeah and I think I think that's where the biggest problem lies so if if you're someone who doesn't know better and you go to a professional and the professional will tell you that you know you need to take your your anti-inflammatory uh, medication when you've twisted your ankle and for the rest it doesn't really matter then I suppose you're going to believe that yeah absolutely and I suppose as well there we're seeing a a bit of a shift and maybe that's a cultural thing where the younger generation are actually coming through and being more questioning of everything you know whether it be workplace place culture or um or the advice they're given by medical um professionals they're starting to question things a lot more so we're, we're almost seeing a shift we know now that kind of the next generations we're drinking less for example so like you say back to your point we've almost taken the advice from the professionals as gospel and that that includes government advice regarding nutrition and eating your five a day etc etc because i think a lot of people want some advice to know that they are eating well then you've got the the proportion of the population who 
who don't care and they'll just eat what tastes good and what feels good rather than what is good for the body but it it comes down to how some of this information is uh, advised from from government agencies and recommended because there are a lot of people that that would not wish to eat unhealthily are probably eating unhealthily unbeknownst to them unless they do a lot more research yeah 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 exactly i mean when i speak to patients and quite often if you ask you know uh, what do you eat the first answer would be um, well I, I have a healthy diet and then we go into what they eat and then i suggest something quite different to what they are eating and i explain to them of course why we want to move away from one thing and towards another thing and focus more on eating more of that thing and um, yeah, people generally have the idea that they're actually eating quite healthily and that that they're not really doing their bodies any harm and that's exactly what you're mentioning there it comes back to what we're recommended from the gov- from the government agencies uh, but i think we all know that that's generally the information in, in these coming from these agencies are just outdated it doesn't work i don't can't imagine any high high level athlete and i know of multiple who does not follow this advice of course they follow the the latest advice so jumping in there jacob what let's describe the the kind of average diet shall we say of the patients you see and clearly that's going to vary but in terms of some of the consistencies that you see what are you what are you seeing from patients and what are what is the impact of that and where are the i guess where are the first what are the first steps that you try and get them to take to change because obviously first of all they've got to buy into what you're saying before then they actively do something about it yeah so you know not for everybody i see but a lot of people it would be bread twice a day it would be bread for breakfast and uh, some sandwiches again for lunch uh, otherwise i would see people you know people would tell me that they're having uh, yogurt with uh, fruit in the morning and some sandwiches for lunch and then generally people have a warm meal in the evening and they'll say oh vegetables and meat and i question them a little bit more about the vegetables and meat it would be potatoes maybe a few beans and a piece of meat and so that would that would be the general answer and i and snacks in between often yes they they have snacks it would usually be fruit either banana or apple, something like that. And then generally people admit they don't drink enough water. Some of them will be drinking too much coffee. And um, then I think, uh, yeah, and then sometimes I have I have people who are skipping meals and, you know, uh, not having a regular uh, routine of eating meals. And I, and I think that if people skip meals with the idea to do intermittent fasting, then that's good. Uh, but if somebody skips meals because they're exhausted and they have a too busy schedule and they don't get round to eating, then I think they're probably on the wrong path. Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess then the the next question is how do you how do you approach it with a with a patient? Patient comes in because the diet you've described there is is I would say pretty pretty standard for a Western diet for most for the large percentage of the population. Toast in the morning or cereal and sandwiches at lunchtime uh, followed by a, an evening meal with maybe the odd snack in between even if it's a chocolate bar that for them for many is going to feel pretty pretty balanced i mean we've certainly seen people with far far worse diets so yeah. how do you kind of approach the subject 
with those guys to say, well, actually, that's not a great diet because often you get challenged to say, well, what's wrong with that? You know, I've had many a argument with friends about, you know, eating cereal and toast in the morning and, and why that should be um, something they might consider changing. But it, it, it often comes with, yeah. shall we say, a heated debate, for want of a better... Well, yeah, well, I think the, the best way to um, understand this for yourself would be to experience it. Because you can tell, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And what I mean with that is we don't know how good you can feel. We don't know, maybe we forgot what it feels like to wake up in the morning with energy. Uh, because we're so used to wake, waking up in the morning, you know, feeling uh, really crappy and, and, and accepting it as being normal because it's, it's earlier, something like that. You know, if you sleep properly and you wake up before your alarm clock, it probably means that you, you've had enough sleep, you wake rested, you're ready for the day. Yeah, and I have to say, you know, bringing that, what you've just said back to me personally, um, towards the end of last year, I know I was kind of slipping into um, some poor habits, just more by complacency than anything. Um, but then in the turn of the year when... I kind of reviewed my diet and started becoming more strict with the diet and just more focused. There's no doubt that, that it had an impact on me certainly waking up in the morning before any alarm, feeling awake, you know, had the odd ache and pain that, that really there was no justification for went quite quickly. And and I think the, the the key thing for me was was certainly introducing that hydration because I think a lot of people think, God, I feel hungry. And I think this is one of the bigger problems for people when you think about eating three times a day and that's kind of it, is I'm going to be hungry. But actually what we find is a lot of those people are drinking a glass of water a day. If you're introducing in one to two litres ultimately of water a day, then suddenly you're far more satisfied in terms of satiated you know yes. so there's the, the yes. that that's another element of this that i think is overlooked is that general hydration that people are are considering yeah i'll, I'll just continue with your with your question um how do i approach it with patients basically i you know there's a few questions you you ask people and if they ask answer yes then it becomes quite obvious that uh, they, you know, they, they, they're suffering from something going wrong in their gut. And I think that the way to approach it is to uh, just give people guidelines. And that's what I do. I give them guidelines. I, we, we talk about it. We write it down. And I explain to them what the idea is between, you know, comparing uh, eating all day and, and having three meals a day and making sure that you get some energy for the actual recovery which we're after and uh, people get it you know if you explain to them the effect of certain things and, and if you get too much omega-6 in you know therefore you want to you want to uh, eat less eat less grain you want to make sure that you get good fats in if you get too much of the one fat in and your omega-6 goes up especially vegetable oils that's pro-inflammatory and if you explain these things to them it makes a lot of sense and I think people are good at making small changes uh, sometimes it's needed to make big changes uh, if somebody has a real problem and they've, you know, they want to, they want to get better. Uh, then it's up to them. You know, you can, you can give somebody the information, but uh, 
you know, ultimately the responsibility lies with the patient. Yeah, of course. And I think, you know, you, like you say there, a lot of it comes back to a lack of education. And like I say, there's a lot of people that, that, that want to eat healthily and think they probably are eating healthily from the advice they get. So for those people that maybe suffer a back injury and come and see you and then get that advice, then it's what you're saying is they kind of take it on board and it's quite, quite a simple change for them to make because they buy into it. There's always going to be those people that are complacent and, um, and don't acknowledge it or certainly don't implement it. That's it. You know, and, and I think that I, I still try to help them as much as I can. Uh, but in some cases, you know, if you have trauma to the bone in the low back, you know, and you know, there's, there's a, there are, there are some modic changes and you you're dealing with a lot of inflammation and it's a long long-term process then i've seen how people have turned that around in a few months by going on to a, a very relatively strict anti-inflammatory diet and doing specific exercises where that sort of problem can carry on for years and mm-hmm. um, you know if you look at the x-ray especially and you know that it's pretty fresh and it's it's been chronic for a while but you know, the patient's been to a few other people and to some medical specialists and they have not gotten better and they end up with you and, and, and they don't know what to expect, obviously, when they come to you. I think there's, uh, there's a great deal of recovery uh, within, that lies within good nutrition. And I think not only for the chronic patient, as we see, uh, when we see mostly chronic patients, you know, that, that gets stuck in that chronic uh, inflammatory process and it just doesn't get better. But also if you, you know, the benefit of actually fixing your diet properly uh, for when you would have an injury, when you roll your ankle or when you fall and you hurt your shoulder, when you go skiing or, um, or even just day-to-day strains, if you have a, a job where you sit a lot, you know, on your back or your neck, the recovery at night and throughout the day is so much more enhanced if you eat properly, which means it's probably going to keep you out of trouble. And that's what we're after, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it's not rocket science, is it? When we, you know, when you really think back and, and strip things back, if you're, if you're moving as you're genetically designed to do, and if you're eating the foods that you're genetically designed to eat, or as certainly you know, from a nutritional point of view, are going to support your body and the systems and organs within it, then not only are you going to surely get out of pain and manage that pain more effectively, but you're going to feel so much better as well. So this isn't just a, this isn't just about getting out of pain. You know, this is extending to quality of life and overall comfort, you know, along the way, along that journey, you know, and and sometimes... You know, it takes, as we know, with a lot of things in life, it takes, it takes a, a point of pain, and in this case, genuine pain, if in terms of the back, that, that maybe stop, make, make people stop and think, well, hang on a minute, okay, um, what have I been doing wrong? How the hell do I get out of this pain initially? And what are the things that are going to optimize that? And that, that's often the starting point for people to reflect on nutrition and other things when they get that advice and unfortunately the general advice that we're getting 
in terms of nutrition and in terms of um, even pain management are are not necessarily accurate so the information that people do absorb in terms of their education is is unfortunately limited um, or at best limited at worst just incorrect that's a very unfortunate sad truth and you know especially when you try to do your best uh, based on the information you're given and when the information given to you is told to you as a, as a truth then it's, it's really sad so it, that's that's it i think it's an educational process for uh, for most people and and i think a lot of people realize they know you know they these days they're more open to this sort of advice because if you compare it to maybe five or ten years ago there was a much stronger belief in the sort of government policy when it came to mm. what we should eat you know and we should get our fiber from grain and this and that and the other uh, and you know you'd go to the gp to the doctor and say i've got uh, constipation and they'll be like yeah you need to eat more uh, whole grain bread okay well i've been doing that for the last six months and it's getting worse. <laughs> so, yeah. But um, I think people slowly, they're you know becoming more aware of this, and also because there are some breakthroughs, there are some people, individuals writing books about it, and we know that some 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 things have been debunked, you know, about saturated fats and cholesterol. And so, I guess for the people listening, a good place to to end would be we we've kind of touched on eating maybe three meals a day, giving the gut an opportunity to rest in itself. And we've talked about hydration. We've talked about trying to limit the grains and certainly bread. What what would be a good day in terms of a diet for you, just so that people can go away with, with a thought on what could be a beneficial diet for them on a day-to-day basis in terms of breakfast, lunch, and an evening meal? just so there's a there's a bit of structure behind that for them obviously there's a mass of different foods um that are that are open to us so we can't cover all the different menu options as it were but just in terms of a i guess a, a an outline for people to consider on a day-to-day basis and and also kind of volumes of of water i've suggested one to two liters um, just so people have got a bit of a takeaway message on on that so i think as a general guideline i would suggest trying to eat the vegetables twice a day you know and uh, what i generally recommend is actually steaming the vegetables because that's more nutritious than putting them in the oven or frying them and it's also much quicker so mm-hmm. vegetables twice a day i would suggest trying to stay away from a sugary breakfast something like a, like an omelette or eggs in the morning with again some veg and some good fats, good saturated fat, you know, real butter. It's a good start because you get some protein, some fat, and a little bit of carbs in. But you're not getting that sugary, uh, sh- sugary breakfast in that's going to spike your insulin in the morning. So you have a good, steady start in the morning. And then, you know, uh, I'm generally suggesting that you do have meat. The the problem with not having meat is. You, that you're missing out on a lot of essential nutrients and obviously the protein that's another topic we need to make sure we get enough protein and so i would suggest you know vegetables twice a day with some meat uh, maybe an omelette for breakfast and stick to trying to eat three times a day 
you know and if you want to go a step further especially if your your insulin response is good then you can even try to do twice a day but you have to make sure that you get and you have to eat enough at your meal so that you can last until the next meal even if you do three times a day yeah absolutely no that's good advice and i think that's a good place for us to draw to a close and uh you know there it is everybody that nutrition does have an impact on pain it has an impact on inflammation and it's something that we really need to consider not just when we're suffering from pain but it's something that we need to consider just for our general health and wellness and if you're feeling sluggish in the morning and you're listening into this podcast without suffering from any back pain then it's something that you can also reflect on and and consider changing to improve improve your health and improve how you feel day to day and i think there's some good advice there in terms of the approach that you can take and some of the considerations you need to make in terms of uh, changing your diet and no doubt this is a, a subject that we'll come back and discuss further uh, in future podcasts in terms of some of the different uh, key focuses as they as they come up and as as we feel that they'll be beneficial but just as an introductory um, podcast for the listeners uh, to give them some advice that nutrition matters and it matters if you're going to get out of that back pain and recover optimally and effectively and the side effect is you're going to feel a lot better for it so once again thanks jacob thanks everyone for listening as always head on over to the uh, itunes to give us a review give us a rating so we can spread the message we're going to continue with our podcast episodes and uh, keep you updated with information so listen in next time when we're going to be talking about movement resilience building movement resilience when we're focusing on lower back recovery specifically so thanks again for listening guys and we'll speak to you next time